previously on the Natural Lifestyles podcast. A few guys have been asking me questions outside of presentations about lifestyle design, how to get a crew together or how to you know, build something that's bigger than just you. And I feel that is a really important thing to do. There's this kind of um, archetype which has sprung up since the four-hour workweek was released. It's a new concept of a masculine ideal. A new archetype which has arisen in this, like in the internet age essentially, is the body hacker, the life hacker, the nomadic entrepreneur. And I know there's a bunch of guys in this room who fit within that category to different degrees, and we certainly do. We are exemplars of this. Is the guy that is really trying to hack all of the elements of his life to make things most effective. Every exercise is perfect. The push-up is done in just such a way that you're not wasting any movement and it gets the maximum return. In the financial world, that you can create a business perhaps that provides you with passive income and allows you to be mobile and to leverage currencies and location and skills, right? So this archetype which has arisen, it's awesome in many ways, but there is something that I feel is flawed in it. That is its hyper-individualism. It's about how you can do everything by yourself and that, and that that is almost preferred, that you must be able to do all of this stuff by yourself and you don't need anybody. And I don't think that's true. I have met some guys who are living more or less in that lifestyle, that they have made the things work, but they're lonely. They don't have a sense of direction they don't have a crew around them, and then they have to do everything themselves, which makes it much harder. I don't do all this myself. <laughs> you guys have seen, there's a big team around me. And men, I think, are most powerful when they have a loyal tribe around them of around five to 10 men that are all working together on common goals, that has skills in different areas, that has different characteristics. And in terms of lifestyle design, that's something that I've put a lot of effort into in my life. And this is what I talk about in terms of the seductive economy, right? This is a kind of a, a map that I overlay to help explain how it is that you can create networks with really important people or really powerful people or well-connected people or people that you just want to hang out with. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles podcast. And this often happens coming out of high school and university when people are exploring socially and people are more dynamic and uh, there's more social mobility going on, that you have this thing where you meet more people and you make friends. And then over time, as people get into relationships, get into jobs, settle in one city, get more rigid, lose their beginner's mind and start going, yeah, I'm this guy and this is what I do and I have these friends and that's it, worlds start to shrink and the dynamism of being able to, to build new crews starts to dissolve. Who here has found themselves in that position where their social world has, has shrunk and they feel like, fuck, how do I make a new friend? It's kind of hard to make new male friends. Like, it's a bit weird, right? I mean, how do you ask a dude on a date? <laughs> With a girl, at least the agenda's clear. It's like, I'm trying to get you into bed. The dude is like, what are we doing? Just, I need a friend, you know? John and I have been friends for 20 years now. I consider him and he considers me to be best friends and there's a reason for that. It's not just the time that we spent together. It's not just the decades that we've known each other. It's something more important. How do you know who your best friend is? What is the elements of that that holds you together? No, it's not unconditional. It's definitely conditional. Because like if if your best friend suddenly starts like not giving anything or listening to you anymore and becoming a sociopath and fucking your girlfriend and stealing your money, suddenly it's conditional. Yeah, so it's not that. What? Trust. trust. Yes, there is definitely trust. And how is trust built? Loyalty. Okay, loyalty and trust. 
How are these things built? How do I know if I trust somebody? Leave them alone with your girlfriend for a night. <laughs> See what happens. Right? Trust comes from having the opportunity to fuck each other over and not. It comes from in a moment when you really need somebody uh, to be there and back you up, asking for that, and then seeing that person come in and, and deliver, and then seeing that happen in, in reverse. That's, what, that's how trust is built. Because otherwise, I mean, I can, I've learned this the hard way. Anyone who's run a business knows that you will get fucked over by people close to you. This, this is almost inevitable, in my, in my opinion. Because when you, when you start any kind of collaboration, usually you base it initially on a, on a trust of like, oh, cool, well, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't fuck this person over, so I guess they wouldn't fuck me over. And, you know, this is my viewpoint on ethics, and so that's the viewpoint that they will have on ethics. And that's all well and good when it's just an idea on paper. But once money starts coming in, or once, or once debt starts coming in, or once there's a workload where suddenly one person is doing more work than the other, right? when these things all start to happen, okay, that's when things get shaken and you start to see who, who you can really trust. I have a policy now that I, I don't consider myself trusting of anybody until I've seen them through four seasons. Right? I'm not a cynic. I'm, I'm certainly willing to see how to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I have been screwed over so many times by people who thought, who themselves thought that they were trustworthy. It's not necessarily that people come in going, I'm an asshole, I'm a motherfucking liar, and I'm going to come over and I'm going to screw this dude over. Most people are not con men in that sense, but many people, and probably all of you and myself included, have conned somebody at some point. Because at some point, at the beginning, you thought, yeah, okay, I can do this deal, this is great. And at some point, you start to see that, nah, this is not what I wanted, or I feel like I'm overstretched, or this person doesn't appreciate me, or it's kind of worth, like, just make, hitting on his girlfriend because I'd prefer to have the girl than have the guy. You know, all of these things that people inevitably often do experience at some point in their lives when their self-interest comes up against somebody else's need. Right? So my policy is, as I'm starting to build tribes and draw somebody in, is I test them. And I'll give them enough room to screw me over a little bit that it doesn't cost me much, but I get to see what they're going to do with it. Yeah? I'll hand people money and say, can you go and grab that thing and then see what they do with the change? Right? I'll give them access to certain areas of the business and see how they deal with it. I will explain to them the TNL bro code, which is this. You can use each other's beds. You can use each other's sheets. You can steal each other's food, but not the last bite. Right? There's, all these, there's all this flexibility in our crew of what you can do. You, the guy, the, if you ever need anything, especially when you're trying to get laid, we'll be there. If you need a guy to rock up and be with a very unattractive girl and make you look cool and act like the fool, we'll be there. All of these things are the advantages of being in the TNL crew. But if you screw with any of each other's girls without being gifted, because there is some gifting of like, I'm finished with this one, do you want her? Uh, <laughs> That, that happens quite a lot. Liam's famous for that. Liam just used to love doing that. He'd, he'd bring a cute girl in, he'd bang her for a bit, and then he'd go, I'm feeling so abundant. I'm just like, and she's horny. I'm like, she, and you just say to the girl, anyone else in the house you want to have a go with? And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, they're all, anyone. Like, Can I try that flavor? And he's like, sure. And then there was times when, you know, a girl was delivered to my bedroom from, from Liam. It's, thanks, thanks, Liam, that was nice. And I really needed it. At that time, I was having a rough patch for a month, and he just went, actually, i got plenty. I'm just going to give this one to the boss. <laughs> yeah. So that's fine. But, I mean, we have rock-solid rules about that stuff. There's no flirting with each other's girls. There's no, there, and there's no question. We have absolute faith in each other that any girl coming into the sphere is totally off-limits. 
And that's funny because in most normal social circles, because there is a scarcity of women, that stuff comes into question. When a really hot girl comes in and she hasn't been locked down by one person, but one person's working on her, other guys start jostling for her. Yeah? Suddenly they start teasing their friend in front of the girl and trying to impress the girl and all this kind of stuff. And then you see, this, okay, these men are not actually trustworthy when it comes to the important things, women and your wallet. Right? So the way that I've navigated through the world and it's gradually built crews is initially I did it organically. It came in and John became great friends because over time we did a lot of things for each other. We trusted each other early on with our secrets, with our fears, with our needs. We, we borrowed and lent money to each other. We helped each other move house God knows how many fucking times. Uh, you know, all of, the, all of the resources that I had and he had were combined for various other projects or to when somebody, you know, broke up with a girlfriend and was just destitute, the other person had put him on the couch and so on. This, this developed over years. So, of course, it's not just about the favours, but those are the things that start to glue people together, particularly the way men operate. Right? They, they, when, they, when they collaborate on something and they develop a high degree of trust, then they, this makes them a really powerful unit. Back in high school, I moved out of home very young. At 16, I had a, a really rough childhood growing up. My mother uh, was, we were, I was growing up in a single parent household and my mother was very unstable emotionally. She was going through a very difficult time and I had to move out of home at 16. And so I got together with two other guys who also had fucked up out homes and we were like, how much money we got? We were like, not much, but Thank you, Australia, again, for giving us a bit of cash. The government gave us a little bit of money. And uh, we were able to rent a shitty house. And so we were the first guys that moved out of home, three of us, in a real shit house. And it had like a fence that was broken down. And, and instead of fixing the fence, the landlord had put two beehives there, just with bees in them. So it was just like, it was like, it was a, it was an, a, a Greek guy. He's like, Nehemiah, I just put the bloody bees. It's better than a fence because then you get the honey and nobody fucks with the bees, eh? <laughs> Like, all right, fine. He was a funny old. <laughs> so we had this house with the guard bees, and um, and we were the we were the nerdiest, dorkiest kids, right? We didn't we were not fucking cool at school at all. But what we did is we we collaborated with all the other nerds, and we thought, all right, we have this resource, we have this shit house, but we have a house. There's no parents there, and so we should throw a party, and not just any party. We should throw the best party that Canberra's ever seen. Yeah? And so the five or six of us who were all working on this thing together conceptualised this thing called Space House. And we spray-painted the, uh, the letterbox silver and carved spray Space House on it. And then in the backyard was a clothesline. In Australia, we have these, like, pyramid clotheslines. And we covered that with tarpaulins and then put pillows and, and incense inside. And, and then we knew a friend who knew somebody who was, who was a belly dancer. And she was, like, a chick who was older than high school. And we invited her and we said, look, we'll give you some weed if you come and, like, belly dance. And then, uh, you know, someone knew someone who played in a band. And so we set up the garage. And we had a friend who used to make strobe lights back, well back before the internet, before you could order them for 10 bucks online. You either had to go to an expensive lighting shop and he was this like techie dude and he made strobe lights and some flashing lights and so we set up a disco and uh, everyone like contributed in all these different ways. And we pulled off this party and we charged two, we even charged two bucks on the door, I remember. And we had one guy who knew a guy who was like a beefcake and we, and we said, all right, we'll give you some weed if, and like you can be cool if you're the bouncer. And then so he stood on the door and collected the two bucks and we had 200 or 300 people come to this party. It was insane. We filled this house and we had a disco and a fucking sitar tent with a belly dancer. 
and uh, you know, and a disco inside with well, disco. Bad. The disco tech was going with the boogie woogie music, you know, with the early trend, fucking techno or whatever, uh, '90s techno. And every one of us got laid, yeah, that night with not particularly hot chicks, but everyone got laid. Yeah, it was monumental. It was awesome. And and out of that, I recognised the power of like actually collaborating, right? If you want to build a crew, it can happen organically, or gradually over time. But I've learned how to accelerate that really fast. If I meet somebody that I like, and the basis of it is always that I like them. It can't just be some transactional thing of like, I'm a networking guy and I go and network and, and uh, you know, connect with people in order to get something out of them. Underlying it is always the presence. The reason why people like me, I perceive, the reason why I have charisma is not because of, I don't know, my nice hair. It's because uh, I'm present. I'm right here, right now. You guys can feel me, right? You can feel I'm not reading off a script. I'm not going through the motions of saying the speech. Yeah, I'm channeling, and I'm feeling it from my gut. I'm feeling it resonate through my body, and so therefore, you feel like I'm here with you. And that's the most powerful gift, I think, that you can give somebody is your full attention. When you're with a girl, standing with her, looking her in the eyes and being truly present, not just thinking about your agenda or which number she is on the... Tw- on the out of 30, right? she can really feel that. When you're talking to somebody and you're interested in them as a person or a friend, that you're there, present. You're asking questions and you're really listening. In the seductive economy, I talk about currencies, that there is a trade in non-financial currencies between people that's happening all the time. We're always trading. And if you want to accelerate a connection with somebody, then you need to get that trade started. It's not enough to just hang out with each other at after-work drinks. That's why the dudes that you hang out with at your workplace in after-work drinks or you people that you went to the university course with and sat next to and gossiped about the teacher or whatever, often those people, as soon as the course ends or the job ends, they just vanish. You vanish, right? You've all had those people. They just waft off into being Facebook friends and that's it. The reason that you didn't really have a real connection is there was no investment in each other. There was none of this reciprocal trade. There was therefore no trust built, no real connection held between you. That's the primary way that men hold themselves together is by collaborating together so that everyone benefits. To accelerate this process, I use ask, offer, trade, collaborate. Four actions that I will deliberately instigate with somebody. The guy that I mentioned briefly earlier who's a a European royal, he originally came in to meet us through teaching. He was a client and he was a really fucking interesting dude and we had some cool stuff in common. And after the course, I was like, I'm going to make that guy my friend. I'm going to very specifically do that. And so I asked him for a huge favor. And he did that for me. And after that, I made sure that I repaid him straight away by going to Vienna and taking him out and getting him late. All right? And we hung out. We did heaps of pickup together. And then we started to do this stuff where I, would, I called him up again. I said, hey, man, I haven't been hunting since I was a kid. You've got an estate, right? Yes. Good. Can I come and go hunting with you? Of course. And uh, we went out and went hunting together. Right? And then I invited him on a trip with the TNL crew to go to uh, Croatia and go boating. Right? And so we started to reciprocate these different things and create this network, this, this connection based on asking for things. And sometimes I ask for things that are outrageous. And my intention is to pay them back and pay them back with interest very quickly. Or I'll ask for a collaboration. That's the fastest way to get a connection happening with somebody is to offer them something and suggest that they offer something and then let's work on something where we both benefit. The two Austrians here, 
Alex and Dom contacted me, I don't know, three years ago. Three years ago? Jesus, okay. And at that time, somewhere on the website, I'd forgotten there was a thing for employment and said, you know, we need, we're looking for website designers and photographers and stuff. I'd forgotten that was there and then these guys contacted me several times and I just ignored them as I do everyone when they first contact me because I'm like, oh, I don't fucking, I don't, I don't have time for this. And, um, and they said, okay, you know, we're, we're photographers and we're website designers and we're in Vienna, so, you know, we're, we're here if you want to, we can come and work for you, be interns. And, uh, yeah, I just ignored them for a bit. And then one day we, we had to do a photo shoot in Budapest. All the crew was here. And I'm like, fuck, there's only this weekend when all of us are in town, we have to do a photo shoot. And we're like, do we know any photographers? No. Oh, yeah, those kids from Vienna. And then I wrote to Alex and said, actually, yes, you can. If you can come here this Friday and do a photo shoot with us, then we'll give you a shot. And so those two rocked up with their cameras and we'd, we hired a, a venue and we went out and did a photo shoot and it was awesome. And they you know, were working hard and setting up the lights and doing all this stuff. And, yeah, you know, and they produced a great series of photos. And after that, I was like, okay, cool. Now you can come on board and start working with us. And they, they offered something straight away. That's, if you ever want to approach a mentor, because I get these now, I'm a mentor now apparently, and so I get all of these, all of these requests from people all the time. And often it goes just like this. Hey, do you have a job for me? Hey, I want to work with TNL. How do I sign up? Or uh, there's this girl at my office and I'm trying to pick her up. So you got any advice on that? And I'm like, fuck you, dude. Seriously, really? You go, you're just going to randomly, like, it's like writing to any professional and just saying, hey, fix my problem for no reason. No money, no, no hello, how are you? No, no flattery, you know, no, nothing. Just like, hey, you're that guy that can fix, do things for me, so I'm just going to ask you. Okay. There's, there's a strength in the audacity to go and ask for something. Absolutely. Right? I did that. I jumped to the head of the queue in Shaolin Temple. I just rocked up and I said, so, yeah, I'm here. And can I learn from you? Right? But there's an important mix. Audacity with humility. You've got to have those two things together, especially if you're jumping way up levels, which I encourage you to do. Go and approach people that are, that are outside your social spectrum. Approach girls that you perceive to be outside of your league. But understand that you're going to have to offer something in that, right? These guys wanted to hang out with us and learn pickup from us. They wanted the skills. They, you know, it wasn't the job that they were interested in. They were interested in learning how to pick up girls. And so they were like, all right, what do we got to trade? Let's, let's offer this. And then we're like, cool, you guys did a good job. It was a couple of years later. We were on Eurotour and Dom was uh, following us on the tour, filming the tour. And he was talking to one of the students and I overheard him say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we didn't know what we were doing back then. I was like, what? And he said, oh, like, when we came to do that photo shoot, we'd never done a photo shoot in our lives. <laughs> really? You could have fooled me. And you did. Because, and he said that after we said, all right, yeah, be there on Friday, they were like, shit. And they went on Google and they were like YouTubing, like, how to do a photo shoot and... They had cameras and they'd been fiddling around with them, like taking photos of their feet and stuff and, call, you know, <laughs> dabbling in photography. But suddenly they had five days to figure out how to do a professional photo shoot. And they pulled it off enough that it fooled us, right? <laughs> so that, you know, that, that's the audacity. That's the, like, we are not ready for this, but we're going to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we're going to make it fucking happen and we're going to deliver. And they did. And since then, for three years, they've been traveling the world with us having fucking wild adventures, doing a really cool and interesting job and becoming pretty damn good photographers in the, in the, in the meantime. So I'm going to have to wrap it up soon. Uh, once again, I had a plan of what I was going to talk about and that 
turned out very differently, but I hope you guys have enjoyed it so far. The main point that I want to highlight here, or just to recap on things, you need to view this as a long-term journey. It's not something you just, a hobby that you go out and learn once, and then you're done. Seduction is, a, is the most important life skill as far as I'm concerned. Outside of being able to feed yourself, create some kind of job where you can survive, being able to be a good people person, and that's what seduction is, it's not just about hustling drunk girls into bed, it's about being able to connect with people, being able to have charisma, being able to have an effect on people, being able to negotiate, being able to draw people into your life in whatever way that's important to you. That is an ongoing process. And for all the introverts in the room, which I don't even have to ask who is that, because I know most of you are going to put your hands up, and myself absolutely included, this is a vital skill that you have to hone if it doesn't just come kind of naturally. It did not for me. It was something I had to develop in myself and learn to develop it not just as a skill, but then as an extension of my introversion. That's a, a next level thing. To be able to be a person who is more at ease with themselves or uh, alone or in small groups, uh, who, who draws energy in solitude, and then to be able to channel that out into the world and make an effect when and as needed. You have to be able to connect with all the human beings around you if you want to be most effective. And this should be plugged into a story arc that you perceive yourself as the hero of. And, where, and to note, I think pr probably as I've been talking, you guys have been thinking, okay, where am I on that journey? And you may be in the complete doubt and confusion of the beginner, just taking your first tentative steps on the path. You may have been someone who's been going along a certain pathway and then found that that, that story arc has dissolved and fallen away and it's no longer relevant for you and you now have to start again. Maybe someone who's been lost, who's gone off the track and just been sitting in complacency for some time and needs a kick in the ass to just get yourself back onto it and all, all these other various stages, right? But this is the thing that I know for my life has propelled me through weird adventure after adventure has meant that I've been at some points been able to just go, all right, this vehicle no longer serves me. I need to dump it and get in a new vehicle, but I need to continue the growth and the change, yeah? From weirdo, kung fu dude to musician, to traveling sex coach, to God knows where that's gonna be in the next five or 10 years. But I know that it will continue to, to, I will continue to grow and evolve and the story will continue because for me, otherwise, what's the point? All right, what's the point of being alive? So you need to be able to tie this in together with your own internal growth. The three pillars that I've spoken about and you guys have been aware of, probably the speech that maybe brought you here was my original three pillars of seductive success. So these three pillars, the inner game, the outer game, the lifestyle design are all reflections of the same thing. And sometimes you need to focus and get obsessed about one element of it. At that time when I spent that two years doing almost nothing else and it was driven to like master the seduction part of it, I needed to go through that. That got me all the experience and the skills with women specifically, but towards the end of it, I became quite one dimensional. A beautiful, amazing woman that I was casually dating at that time told me that she, she was breaking up with me and I'm like we're in a casual relationship how do you break up with me it's like we, we haven't even got together she's like well whatever it is we're not sleeping together anymore and that's because you're boring and that fucking hurt I was like whoa hang on a minute you can call me a motherfucking cunt shithead bitch fucking ass but don't call me boring what do you mean boring I'm out picking up chicks all the time she's like yeah exactly you know that I don't care about the other girls and I'm into this I understand your situation and it's cool but when I first met you, you were really interesting. You were, in, you were into music and spirituality and all these weird books. And you were, I learned stuff from you. 
And in the last year, you've just been thinking, feeling, doing, everything is just about pickup. It's all you care about. And so she dumped me. And around that time, I recognised, yeah, okay, I've followed this obsessively to a point where it's not serving me. I need to integrate it. And before that, I'd spent all this time just meditating, the inner game stuff. From 18 to 22-ish, I was absolutely obsessed with this. It was the most important thing in my life, and I developed and grew so much in that. It created the foundation, the bedrock of understanding myself so that when I moved into seduction, things happened very fast. But it was keeping me very isolated from the world, and in some ways it was an escape from facing my other demons, which were the worldly demons. Right? So I needed to integrate that into the seduction. And then, overall, throughout this entire journey, the development of my lifestyle through following the passions that really nourished me, through seeking out the relationships that I really wanted, and collaborating with other guys and girls along the way to build our own empires was the thing that has made it blossom and go from being run out of, the, out of a garage in a suburb of Melbourne to now being this international fucking seduction mafia where I can drop down in any country more or less in the world and there'll be people who want to hang out with me, where I can go and start relationships and collaborations and business opportunities and do all this stuff globally. The world is now at my fingertips because of my continual progress in these three areas. So over the course of your journey coming out of this weekend, I want you to really do a stock take. Look at your social circle. Look at the people you're hanging around with and recognise, okay, are these the people that are going to that I'm going to go to the moon with? Or are these the people that have been holding me back and, and reinforcing my limitations? Maybe you're going to have to move away from them. I've done that multiple times. Not in, I haven't cut people got cold out of my life. It's just that I've shifted my focus. The guys I travel the world with are not my old friends back in high school, except for John, who's come along for the ride. It's the people that I continue to collaborate with and move around the world are the ones that want to resonate at that vibration. We're all doing it in our own ways. I'm leading this ship, but everyone is incredible alpha leaders in their own respect and building their own tribes and building their own uh, missions and empires extending from that. But it's vitally important. You look at that, you look at your lifestyle and you recognise, okay, is my lifestyle stifling me? Is this job crushing my soul? And if it is, can I get out of it soon? Right? Is this city limited? And there are many cities which provide systemic limitations to what you can achieve in terms of being, there being enough girls or the culture being open enough or there being enough opportunities. I've moved multiple times to different countries because I couldn't run TNL at the level that we're running it here if we were still based in Australia. Population's not big enough. It's too isolated. That's it. We had to move either to the Europe or the States. And that became clear to me in the first few years. Either keep it at a hobby level, something that we just do to pay the bills, or if we want to have massive impact on the world, we need to move somewhere where, the, where uh, there's more people, and let's choose somewhere where the girls are really hot. So let's come here. All right. That's all I have time for, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The Natural TV. See you on the next episode.